The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. You're tuned in to Heat Check with Trista Crick. On this episode of the Heat Check... The NBA draft lottery has come and gone, and we finally know where Wemby is going to land and where everyone for now is going to pick. That will obviously change. The conference finals are underway, folks, and surprise, surprise, Joe Mazzulla still hasn't been calling timeouts. He doesn't really know when to use them, how to use them, or if to use them. Lakers seem happy with the three-point loss to Denver, and yes... Uh, we get into even more on the John Morant incident and some more news from around the league. Nick, let's get right into it and drop that generic-ass beat that should be Rihanna. So we talked about this before. I did some things on social media about it, but it's worth mentioning again. Is is Joe Mazzulla, apparently the head coach of the Boston Celtics, uh, loves the movie The Town? So much that he watches the town four times a week. That's every other day. Actually, more than every other day. Uh, Just to get into the mood and into the inspiration of getting in that Boston mindset. Um, He has used one of the movie's catchphrases, apparently, to motivate the team this season, this postseason. It's, whose car are we going to take? Whose timeout are we going to call? Uh, but this is not about quirks. It's kind of about his quirks, which is a basketball coaching quirk, which is, uh, like, not coaching. Um, yeah, we're talking about timeouts, or better put, Joe Mazzulla's inexplicable decisions about not taking them. Uh, last night, the Celtics lost home court advantage, and they dominated three out of the four quarters of that game to the Miami Heat. They got cooked so bad in the third quarter that they couldn't come back from it. They were the better team pretty much the entire game. They were up 11 at halftime. The Heat were a 10.5-point underdog coming into the third quarter. The Heat were getting you better than 4-1 to odds just to take them to win the game. And you know what? The Miami Heat scored 46 points that third quarter. And during that time... When the Heat erased an 11-point deficit and actually, I don't know, took the lead, Joe Mazzulla didn't call a single timeout. Not one. Not one. When the Heat pulled within six, seems like a good time to take a timeout. Bam Adebayo and one, no timeout. A Heat three to pull within one position, uh, no, not a timeout. Not even at the tie ball game would get Joe Mazzulla to say, I must stop the bleeding. We must have a conversation. Get your asses back in the game. Nothing. The entire third quarter, Miami ripped apart his defense. 
outscored the Celtics by 20. And what did Joe Missoula do? Not a goddamn thing. Nothing. He sat on his hands, leaving the players to flounder and wonder and try to figure it out on their own. What do we even have a coach for? If you're going to make them figure it out, like, huh, what's happening? That's what, what are these timeouts even for? Marcus Smart said this in the following of the game, Joe's real big on not bailing us out when we play like shit. We've got to look at ourselves in the mirror. Joe can call a timeout, and then what? We do the same thing? It's on us. Joe and his coaching staff putting a lot of work to come up with a game plan. Um, does Like, I'm confused. Does that... Do we just not, like, need someone in the game to kind of, like, recalibrate the troops? Like, is that not what we're doing anymore or what? Like, I I don't I, I don't quite get that. Like, Marcus Smart, when he calls a timeout and then what? He tells you, hey, go over there. Hey, when this person does this, you go over there. Hey, like, this man is open. He's pointing out things that he can see. From the bench, because he's not playing, and you are. He can make adjustments. He can make substitutions. So many options at his disposal other than doing nothing. (laughs) I'm so upset with him. Joe Mizzou, it's actually kind of adorable, you know, because you know it when it's happening. You know before it even happens, it's going to happen. You're like, all right, they're up by 11. It's halftime. How are they going to fuck this one up? This is like, wow. So they ask him, they ask Joe Missoula, the presser, uh, the media is like, hey, um, they'd ask it in a very funny way too. Like, how do you feel about the concept of like taking timeouts? And going up against Spolstra, who's constantly making adjustments on the fly, willing to kind of call timeouts and change things up so quickly. How did you balance like trying to let things play out in the ways you usually do versus like having to seize control? I called two in the first quarter. Thinking more like the third quarter. I don't call two in the first quarter. Save it for the third quarter run. What are you talking about? I have a question. Um, Does he not know that he gets more? Like that his little bag of timeouts replenishes throughout the game? Does Joe Mazzula know how this part of the game works? Because when he asks, let's let's just really quickly, let's just go back to it just because I'm lost. Don't call two in the first quarter. Save it for the third quarter run. I don't call two in the first quarter to save it for the third quarter, right? No, you had other ones. Like, you called two in the first quarter, and there were more to be used in the third quarter. Joe Mazzula, what are you talking about? I've listened to this clip 20-plus times today. I swear to God. Or swear to whatever. And... I don't know what's happening. I'm not sure if he knows that he has extra timeouts. I don't know if he thinks that he has four of them for the whole game and he used them all. I don't know if he understands that, like, you can actually call timeouts every quarter. Like, you can call them in every situation. As long as you have them, you can call them. And I I know that everyone is killing him for it. And you know what? Writers, NBA TV people, especially fans. As for the game, uh, the Twitter account Bucks Film Room described it best. Friend of show, Bucks Film Room. Um, <laughs> they had, <laughs> that Twitter account fucking hates me. Uh, the stages of losing to the Heat in the playoffs. 
denial. They can't keep playing like this. Disbelief. How do they keep playing like this? Anger. There's no fucking way the Heat should be playing like this. Bargaining. God, they must have made a deal with the devil or something. And then depression. Damn. We lost to the Heat. We're going home. That pretty much sums it up, folks. The Heat got 30 from Jimmy. Uh, They shot really well again from three. I don't know how they're doing that. Because they were one of the worst in the league at three-point percentage in the regular season. Now, all of a sudden, Gabe Vincent, Steph Curry. Now, all of a sudden, uh, Caleb Martin is Andrew Wiggins in his prime. Now, all of a sudden, these Heat are like a full team of the Splash Bros. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, seven players hit two or more threes in the game. Let me say that again. Seven Heat players hit two or more threes in the game. Boston looked really great in the first quarter, first half. Uh, Marcus Smart had 10 assists in the first half. Celtics ended up with six players with 11 points or more. And the team shot 52% from the field. The Boston Celtics shot 52% from the field. And you know what? They are still lost at home. So confusing. I think Boston fans are perplexed as well. This is not Philadelphia. No. You can't count on Doc Rivers uh, going Spider-Man meme with you and also doing nothing when bad things happen. Uh, Eric Spolstra, as is well documented, will call a timeout two minutes into the game if he thinks that shit is gone awry. Hey, he will throw something at Jimmy Butler. He will threaten one of his players to beat his ass in the middle of the game. Like Eric Spolstra... Say a lot of things about Eric Spolster all you want, but him not doing what he's supposed to do on the floor with the X's and O's and the adjustments, that is not one of them. When Boston went on a baby run to start the fourth quarter, what do you think he happened? What happened? What do you think he did? If you had to guess, if I gave you options, what do you think he did? <laughs> if I put it on a multiple choice sheet and I said, A, nothing. B, yelled at his players from across the room. C, call the timeout. What would you say he did? 94 seconds in to the quarter, Eric Spolster calls a timeout. Boom, run stops. Is Joe Mazzula taking notes? Young Padawan, this is how you coach a fucking playoff game. What a fascinating series. Boston's going home, right? They're going to go home. I don't get to go to the finals. I get to just watch the shit from Washington, D.C. with four TVs and my co-host. Like, that's where we're at. That's what's going to happen, right? That's, yep, I think that is. Laker fans, I've never seen a group of people feeling so confident in a loss. I've never seen it. I have never seen an entire group on Twitter say, after a team at home wins that game, that that team that just won the game is cooked. I've never seen that before, but that's where we're at. Nuggets are up 1-0, but apparently the Lakers have figured some shit out. Apparently, this, this like, co- the Kobe stopper, you know? Remember when Ruben Patterson was the Kobe stopper back in the day? 
like apparently the Lakers have a a joker stopper and they just he's just been waiting in the wings just sitting on the bench waiting uh to to showcase his superhuman talents of stopping Jokic stopping not just Jokic but the entire Denver Nuggets offense comes to a screeching halt when Rui Hachimura is on Jokic apparently that's where we're at because um for the let's check the notes it was 10 trips down the floor, Rui Hachimura, pretty large, like very large sample size according to NBA Twitter, uh, 10 trips down the floor where Rui was on Jokic and the Nuggets only scored six points. Apparently they figured something out now. Uh, LA fans, you know how they are. Gold stars, participation trophies, going to the beach, surfboards. Uh, That is what they're doing with their game one loss, which is weird. Um, because Michael Malone noted in his post-game presser that Denver ended up winning the game when Jokic put up just a measly stat sheet of uh, 34 points, 21 rebounds, and 14 assists with two blocks. He missed five shots. They figured him out. It's over. It's over for the Denver Nuggets. Uh, At one point, the Nuggets had a 20-point lead. So... Like I said, they feel that the Rui Hachimura adjustment is uh, what changed the dynamic of the game. The game got tight. Uh, They were free safetying Anthony Davis, not letting anybody go into the paint. Made it look crowded. Anthony Davis was a block monster. But let's be honest. Can we just be, let's put the jokes aside for a second. Rui Hachimura went away from the Washington Wizards for an indefinite period of time. Because he wasn't focused. There were things happening inside of him and inside of his life and inside of his brain where basketball was not front of mind. Rui Hachimura is not the most locked-in human being for a full 48 minutes. Rui Hachimura, you're not going to be able to put him on Jokic for the entire game for the next presumably four We'll just say you win four games. The next four that the Lakers win, we'll just say I'm very optimistically. You're not going to be able to put Rui Hachimura on Jokic that entire time. He will be in trouble, trouble. You put Rui in pick and roll, see what happens. Right in the beginning of the game. Rui might start tonight. We'll see what happens. Jamal Murray, Jokic, pick and roll, barbecue chicken on a hibachi grill. Like, what's going to happen? Jokic will pick him apart. It's really just a matter to me of whether Denver can play defense for the full game. When they play defense, they get stops, they create turnovers, they go out into transition, they look very fast, they look very athletic. When they don't do that, they look very slow because the Lakers are defensive. I mean, it's very simple. Defense set, very hard to score. Defense not set, very easy to score. I know this sounds like like a very simple game, but in a lot of ways it is. There's no way that the Lakers should feel that game one was a victory at all. In fact, you might feel that it was a demoralizing loss because you could have stole one. You had the opportunity. You were down three in the fourth quarter. But don't take my word for it. Uh, Take it from Coach Malone. See what he had to say. It's this kind of discussion being based that, like, even though the Lakers lost, you know, they're walking out of here last night, like, they think they've got something. I'll bet you every red penny I have that Darvin Ham would rather be up 1-0 than down 1-0. Yeah, I mean, what does that even mean? Like, what are we even talking about? Michael Malone is having none of this. You guys figured some things out. Uh, you guys have won something. Like, we'll see how the Lakers respond tonight. Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the Lakers will win game two. Maybe they. Maybe Rui is the Jokic stopper. 
two-time MVP. Getting stopped by our man, Rui Hachimura. All right, let's move forward. It was fun uh, while it lasted. The hope, the dreams, the imagination, all the like the season tickets I was going to buy. Uh, I was moving. I was going to move to Portland, cover Wembenyama full-time. What is it, 10, 1080 the fan? It's an Odyssey station. They'd have me, I'm sure. Could maybe get transferred. Cover Wembenyama. I was ready to party like it was 2007 all over again. Brandon Roy was the uh, good luck mascot. Uh, the last time he was the good luck mascot, we got the number one overall pick when I think we had like a 4% chance of getting it. We had a 10.5% chance as Blazers. And things looked good. We rolled into the top four. My heart was fluttering. Houston got the number four spot, and I said, this is fucking it. Yes, Detroit five, Houston four. We've moved up at least two spots. Why not one? Why not move up another one? Why not move up? And then we got the three spot, and I, and I knew it was over. My soul immediately left my body and looked at me from above, and I realized Portland's trading this pick. That's what's happening. This pick is not even any value. Don't even look at athletic don't look at the scouting reports of any of these young kids. They do not concern you. You are married to Damian Lillard. And what Damian Lillard wants is, outside of Victor Wamiyama, you do not get any more young kids. They do not exist in your mind. In fact, start looking at your own roster. Say, well, kids can go. There's more kids on the current roster that can go. Uh, I thought it was funny, though, when Victor Wambanyama saw, first and foremost, he saw Houston get the four spot, and they cut to him immediately. Apparently, Victor Wambanyama also did not want to go to Houston. Shocking. Shocking, I know, that he would not want to go to a team uh, with a bunch of chuckers on it, a bunch of lottery picks, and when they won, like, what, 22 games or whatever it was, and a new head coach that's got all kinds of misconduct allegations in a city full of temptations, and he's, by the way, French. I don't know if that was a great fit. So uh, Jabari Smith, quote, tweeted it and uh, with the little emoji of taking uh, notes. Okay, Jabari, you go ahead and take those notes, baby boy. He, what you need to do is t- take notes and give them to your teammates so they can get you the fucking ball when you're open underneath the rim. Um so, poor Charlotte, they end up with the second overall pick, and now they've got to worry about what they're going to do. Because are they going to take Scoot Henderson, who would probably not pair great with their other point guard of the future, LaMelo Ball? Um, are they going to take Brandon Miller, who, by the way, Brandon Miller, according to Zach Lowe today, looks horrible. He's out of shape. Like, I thought it was like, oh, like Brandon Miller – not in good shape, meaning like mentally. Like, yeah, no shit. He's been going through a lot. No, like he's physically not been working out. Like just not in shape. Been drinking sodas and eating bonbons and Cheetos and chilling on his couch well, playing Call of Duty. According to Zach Lowe, also Brandon Miller um, not been doing great in the interview process either, which does not shock me. Uh, considering all of the things that have gone down recently. So that's bad. Uh, what Charlotte is going to do is a big off-season story. We know Victor will be a spur. Pop is probably going to be continuing to coach until he gets his Joe Paterno on, like straight from the court to the grave type stuff for, for him. I know that's morbid, but literally, like, they're going to have to drag him up out of there. Uh, and now we've got to figure out the biggest story for the next generation of the NBA. The hype is that big for Victor. We've been talking about him for it feels like two years now. His hype is so big that you have Chris Broussard saying, 
if he's if he turns into Hakeem, he's a bust. That's where we're at. That's how big that. That's an insane statement. Uh, Hakeem fucking Olajuwon, NBA champion twice, twelve time All NBA, twelve time All Star. That guy, if he turns into that guy, he will be a bust. Get out of here. Um, so let's just credit the Spurs for being the luckiest organization. It, like in the NBA. They were so lucky they would have won it like four times. They won the lottery multiple times. Fred Katz was in the lottery draw room and tweeted that the Spurs didn't just win the number one overall pick. Their number got drawn twice more. It was written. The script had been determined. It was always the Spurs. It was never anyone else. In fact, that the Blazers somehow would have gotten quote-unquote lucky, they wouldn't have gotten lucky. Victor Wamiyama wouldn't have gotten lucky. Us NBA fans wouldn't have gotten lucky because Victor Wamiyama would have been some version, some combination between Sam Bowie and Greg Oden. Probably multiple micro fractures in his shins. Probably never seen after 43 games, and Scoot Henderson would be the next Michael Jordan. That would be what would happen, of course, if Blazers got the number one overall pick. So... Spurs, last time they had the number one overall pick in both years, they won 56 games the next year. That's the best record in the lottery era for a team with the number one pick. They're going to be a lot better, probably not winning 56 games, but, man, this could not have worked out better for the NBA, for the Spurs, for, yeah, I mean, like, listen, San Antonio and, and France go to be- go together like Joe Missoula and never calling timeouts. Like, that's just, it's just written. Like, you got... Boris Diaw, you've got Tony Parker. Like The entire country of France was rooting for Victor to go to San Antonio. Uh, this is what he said, Victor. There's a special relationship between France and the Spurs because of Tony Parker and Boris Diaw. I know half the country, maybe if not the whole country, wanted the Spurs to have the number one overall pick. And before you say, well, Trista, this is a Patrick Ewing situation, um, sometimes shit just happens for a reason. Like I said, if it wasn't Portland, I wanted him to be in San Antonio. Another big man, transcendent big man, going to the Spurs, playing underneath Pop, and probably playing the most boring brand of basketball you've ever seen. So the lottery is over. The draft order is set. Here's what it looks like. Spurs, number one, they get Victor. Two, Charlotte Hornets. Three, Portland Trailblazers. Four, uh, Houston Rockets. Five, Detroit Pistons. Six, Orlando Magic. Seven, Indiana Pacers. Eight, Washington Wizards. Nine, Utah Jazz. Ten, Dallas Mavericks, 11, Orlando Magic, 12, OKC Thunder, 13, Toronto Raptors, and 14, New Orleans Pelicans. So after all those shenanigans of Dallas losing games on purpose, like I recommended, they do get their 10th pick. They do get to keep their own pick, and now they have the only trade asset that they could possibly think of. Otherwise, the Knicks would have gotten their pick. And we saw how much chalk it was. The lottery basically lined up almost exactly with the odds. So if they would have gotten 11, the Knicks would have gotten their pick. Now the Knicks have no first-round pick. Other than Victor Wambayama at number one, uh, which, by the way, the books have him at minus 20,000 
to go number one, which is like the craziest odds I've ever seen. Um, that means a hundred dollar bet would get you fifty cents, um, which like still is free money. I mean, still free, whatever you can put up on that. Like I could probably still, I could be talked into it for nearly two years. Everyone was talking about how Vic, if Vic wasn't around, it's scoot, scoot this, scoot that, scoot here, scoot there. And now, very smart people are saying that it is not Scoot's number two overall pick for sure. That Charlotte could take Brandon Miller. They could take Amin Thompson. They could take him at three. They could take him at two, which means Scoot could fall all the way down to four. And if Scoot's at four, maybe there's chaos because, you know, who's got four is those chuckers over there in Houston. They don't need another guard. So what happens? Do they move it? So much chaos. There are rumblings that Charlotte might even take Amin Thompson, who is mocked between three and six. They might be willing to trade down their pick. Mitch Kupchak seems to love Brandon Miller, but like I said, Brandon Miller apparently has, has a dad bod now. So... There are rumors that Houston may want to trade up. Rumors that the Mavs and the Blazers want to trade their picks all together. So what are we going to get? Who knows? We look at the bottom half of the draft. Atlanta, Utah, L.A., Miami, Golden State, Houston again, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Portland from New York, Sacramento, Memphis, Indiana, Charlotte, Utah, Indiana, and the Clippers. There is just a lot of intriguing options here. Brooklyn has a pair of first-rounders here. They could bundle those. They could move up. Houston could package four and 20 to get to three, which then means Portland would probably package four and 20 for somebody like OG Ananobi, or maybe even two if they fall in love with one of the top candidates. So, yeah, I think what's interesting is uh, how many trades are being floated out there and what that means about this draft. What did we see last year? Not many trades at all. Why? Because the draft was seen as very good. You don't want to trade your pick if you have one. Everyone interested in their pick? Apparently, this is supposedly a very deep draft. So, why is everybody wanting to trade back? Maybe this draft class isn't as good as we thought it was. Like, maybe it is just like two, three, maybe top-tier talents. Maybe it's just one. Maybe it's just Vic. Maybe, like, Oscar Thompson is a top-tier talent, but we don't know because he's not being ranked there. So... A lot of people think that there's not much left outside of Victor Wambayama. Brandon Miller has character issues uh, in addition to the holes in his game that I see. Scoot can't shoot threes. Uh, the closest comp that I can see to Amin Thompson could be John Morant that's 6'7", but he also could be Cam Reddish, who's been bounced around like a ping-pong ball. So Cam Whitmore has a horrible assist rate, which means he's used to being a number one option, and a lot of these teams that could draft him have already other elite scorers on the team. So what does that mean for him? Taylor Hendricks, Oscar Thompson, Jarris Walker, Anthony Black, Derek Lively. Are any of those guys all pro players? I'm asking. Are they? I don't think so. So I think you're going to see a ton of movement on draft nights. And that means what we're likely to see is lots and lots of chaos. This draft is going to be incredible, incredible for betters. We'll definitely have some friends of the shows to break this down because this year the draft is make or break for a number of teams like Portland, and I am excited to see how it all shakes out. All right, so we've got a John Morant update. We'll have multiple updates, but we'll keep it to the pertinent updates. First, Adam Silver responded to Jaw getting caught once again, um, waving a gun around on IG Live, quote-unquote brandishing a weapon. What a word, brandishing. I kind of love it, right? Brandishing. Like, what do I brandish? A Diet Coke. Sometimes a Coke Zero. 
Our man Adam in Amsterdam had this to say. I at least was left with the sense that he was taking this incredibly seriously. Honestly, I was shocked what I saw this weekend. Yeah, I was shocked as well. How long Ja will get for the suspension is not known, but it has got to be, I think, a minimum of 20 games. Ja fought the law and the law won. Ja fought the law and the law won. That's the song, right? That's uh, He's put in the, in the sights of the league disciplinary office, and that's what the song says. Uh, the penalties are coming fast and furious. Uh, the latest penalty is from Nike. Ruh-roh. Uh Numerous reports are, are saying that the uh, Nike and Finish Line have removed Jaws' Hunger Jaw 1 sneakers. What a name. This is especially concerning if you are in Jaws' camp or group because they were supposed to drop on May 25th, which is in seven days. The new colorways were listed as recently as Tuesday, but now, if you look for the Jaw Hunger One sneakers, uh, 404 error, <laughs> this page does not exist. That is uh, not good. Why does this matter? Well, because the last time that Nike deleted the shoe line on their app was Kyrie Irving, and he was never to return again. He has been taping up his sho- shoes with masking tape, writing little messages on them ever since. It is a cold world out there. Nike does not play when it comes to the brand of their athletes and the brand of their shoes. That is not what they are playing around with. A tiny, tiny percentage of NBA players get a signature shoe from Nike. And now Ja might have just fucked it all up for the rest of his career. Uh, That's all the time that we have for the Heat Check. We'll be back Tuesday with an all-new episode as we are into the conference finals. Check out the feed for past episodes and mini-episodes, which are going to drop uh, almost every day. And follow the Heat Check as the NBA is and the playoffs are in full swing. Do not forget to download, subscribe, tell your friends, every single one of them, and follow us on at this Heat Check. Follow us on Trista Crick and on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, hopefully Instagram as well. Uh, And we will see you on Tuesday. Thanks for listening.